0: You are listening to episode 28 of the EU Startups Podcast. Today with Dr. Fiona Patiraya, the founder and managing partner of the European
1: VC firm Krista Galli Ventures. Welcome to another episode of the EU Startups podcast. Today, we're really excited to be joined by Dr. Fiona Pathirada, who is a partner of Krista Gully Ventures. CGV is a fund that invests at seed and Series A startups in the European health tech scene, and it's a doctor-led Evergreen Healthcare Fund. Dr. Fiona herself has a really interesting background, which I'm excited to learn more about today. She worked as an NHS consultant for over 15 years before turning her hand to investing, as she was frustrated by the lack of innovation in the hospital environment. I think that we can all agree and, and draw on our own experiences that sometimes the healthcare system kind of has let us down, and indeed, the, the pandemic has really shone a light on the different challenges facing the healthcare sector across Europe. So Dr. Fiona set up CGV to help drive innovation from the outside in and and improve the sector for everyone. And the fund already has an impressive pan-European portfolio of health tech startups. Alongside this, Christogeli Ventures is also working hard to tackle the issue of diversity in VC. And uh, partner Dr. Fiona is herself a woman of colour, a woman of diverse background. So Dr. Fiona, very welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me today Patricia. Yeah so Dr Furnout you began your career as an NHS doctor and now you're a managing partner at CDV. Can you tell us how you made this kind of unconventional career change? What led you to working in the VC space?
0: Sure so um you know firstly I loved working in medicine it's a huge challenge and every day however senior or junior you are you know you're really making a difference to the patient in front of you on a daily basis, but as a young doctor, I started getting more interested in the wider picture of healthcare and started thinking, where do I fit into this hospital, into this ecosystem that's around me in the bigger in the bigger picture? So I took some time out of medicine. I worked as a management consultant. I spent two years in the UK Department of Health developing health policy, and you know I started really thinking, gosh, I really want to change healthcare for the better, and I, I had lots of different ideas. Um, I finished my training as a radiologist at University College London and Mm -hmm. I was working as a consultant uh, so so an attending radiologist and along the way I'd got a master's in public health and I did an MBA at London Business School. So when I went back Mm -hmm. after the MBA to you know be a consultant radiologist and try and make change in a big hospital it was actually really challenging and I somebody said to me very early on look you know this is a big organization and it's going to take a lot of time to make change in the way that you want to do it. So I quit my job um, in 2018 and started investing a little bit, very low key, just to try and see if I liked investing, if I understood to understand health tech a bit more. And Mm -hmm. as I sort of started going more and more into this sort of investing space, I started to realize, gosh, a lot of people investing in healthcare are not healthcare experts like I am. You know, I really understand what patients are looking for, what physicians are looking for, what nurses, et cetera, are looking for. And then I also started realizing there's not that many women here. There's not that many diverse people either. So I decided to start Krista Galley Ventures in 2019 in order to address some of these things in healthcare. So sort of that's the story. So it's really a story about wanting to make change in healthcare and realizing that VC is a way to help shape that future at scale by backing incredible founders.
1: Wow, it's really inspiring. And I think it's a really important point that you made there as well. The fact that there's so many people making these decisions about where the money goes for new innovations in, in health tech, but it's not actually people with a medical background making those decisions. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a really important point, I think, to, to note that and to highlight that as well. Um, and then also, as you say, that you got there and you're like, where's the woman and, and where's the diverse background? So it's a, certainly a very inspiring story. Um so CTV is, of course, backing um, finders across Europe. Can you tell us a bit more maybe about the direct aims of the, the company? What exactly is your long term vision?
0: Sure. So Krista Galley Ventures is a pan-European health tech specialist VC. We're based in London and Copenhagen and we're backed by um, a Danish family office called IPQ Capital we're really investing in founders who are shaping the future of healthcare. And by that, we see this future as a tech enabled future with really incredibly empowered patients um, who are using these tech enabled solutions to, to have a healthier and better life. And, really we have deep networks into healthcare and to investment circles in Europe, UK and the US, and we try and leverage these networks to try and help our startups to grow and scale across Europe and then hopefully in the US as well.
1: Interesting, okay. So one of the main things uh, I'm hearing is bringing tech into patients' lives and that does align with some of the trends we've seen in health tech this year in terms of a lot of funding going for companies that are um, enabling more people to have apps um, to receive medical care in their homes. Would you see that as kind of one of the bigger trends in health tech this year?
0: Yeah, of course, you know, we can't ignore the pandemic and the two years of what has been happening due to COVID. And of course, whilst terrible things have happened due to COVID, there's also the opportunity. And the opportunity there is that literally everybody is talking about healthcare. You know, whether you're an airport worker or a politician or somebody sitting in a restaurant, everybody's talking. Suddenly it's like, oh, you know, everyone's talking about lateral flows. Everyone's talking about PCRs. And people, I think that that sort of health literacy piece is really powerful. And now doctors are more accepting of tech-enabled healthcare and so are patients. And I think that is a real opportunity for step change in health tech.
1: Wow, yeah. So absolutely, the, the pandemic really exposed, I guess, the the challenges in health tech and the, how much um, the industry needed to, to develop more digitization and more tech-enabled solutions. So after, I mean, we've had the pandemic, what, two years now? Mm. Two years of global health. Crises. Um, What does the health sector really need to do now to stand up to the challenge of recovering from the pandemic, number one, but also um, dealing with all the, the fallout of what's been like longer waiting lists and things like that in the NHS, for example? I think that
0: I, a lot of my friends still work in the NHS and, you know, they're doing mm-hmm. incredible jobs during very difficult times. Um, I think that there is a lot that is happening already in healthcare, given the pandemic, you know, the the sheer sort of force of nature of these people who are working at the front line. Um, And I think that beyond that, the the technological impact is, you know, is great. So um, for example, a lot of, we invest in three key areas, deep tech, so AI and machine learning in healthcare, digital Mm -hmm. health and personalized medicine and actually across all those areas there's a lot happening now at the level of government and policy to try and make things easier for companies to help develop things in collaboration with the NHS. So NHS have developed something called NHSX, which is a large organization deploying millions of pounds to try and work with startups so that hospitals and startups can work together to improve tech-enabled solutions. Um, In the US, you know, the US is opening the door for reimbursement for AI software, because, you know, it's great to have all this technology, but who's going to buy it? And if a hospital group can't Um, pay for it or can't buy it, then it's sort of not really useful for these companies to make it. So policy changes are happening across Europe and the U.S. And in Germany, there's a new sort of um, policy called DIGA, which is a digital health um, policy to try and get the green light for specific digital therapeutics to be prescribed by your doctor. Um, And I think that the pandemic has really shone a light on the fact that, you know, back in the day when I was a young doctor you know we were we didn't realize that actually how essential we are to society you just sort of think I'm doing a great job but suddenly you know you start being recognized as an essential worker a key worker I think that's really powerful and I think Mm -hmm. that governments have started to realize that actually these are key workers essential workers and also there's not enough of them so in order to you know make their lives easier to help them do their job we need the tech behind them to be really top-notch, whether it's the computer systems they're using or whether it's, you know, AI being used to read CT scans.
1: Absolutely. I think, I mean, there's so much there that we can unpack, but I absolutely agree. It's incredible the the power that the pandemic has had to recognise the importance and the, the essential nature of healthcare staff. So it's wonderful to see now that they are getting that recognition and getting that tech that they need to to bring the best outcomes possible to patients. Mm. The other thing as well I would like to just quickly touch on is um, something you did bring up with governments, yes, are in writing these now more into policies across Europe and the US. Is there the possibility that a lot of this really innovative, exciting tech could create a bit of a gap between wealthier patients and the patients that have less money? Or how can we make sure that these innovations and these tech solutions are accessible for everyone?
0: Yeah, I mean, in a short answer, yes. And I think that that is the danger of tech that is just you know rolled out without thought. So I think that that's the key. We must roll out any technology or trial it in a very methodical manner looking to important issues like you know I trained in public health before I went into radiology when I worked in government Mm -hmm. and you know a lot of stuff around health literacy you know can people read this can they understand it can they digest what you're sending out in these messages can they you know if you're creating a digital health app that's only available on an iPhone how about all the people without an iPhone how about all the people who um, are on Android or don't have a phone so it's really important to think about this I think it's a key issue you touched on and as an investor, you know, it's, it's our role as well as my role to ask and question the tech companies to say, how are you working with hospitals, healthcare systems to make sure that this isn't just something that, you know, an affluent person is going to use, but it is reaching all levels of society.
1: Absolutely, that's that's great. So that kind of brings us into this idea of the of the, the health gap. So a health gap is, is kind of defined as the difference of the prevalence of disease or health outcome or, or access to healthcare across different groups. So we've touched there on um, people of differing wealth backgrounds, but it also exists between men and women. It also exists between different ethnicities. In fact, in 2016, a study found that women with dementia, for example, receive worse medical treatment than men. There's also studies showing that women are less likely to be given um, uh, painkillers and they're less likely to receive health monitoring and, and so on. So how can we address this? How can we make sure that men and women are receiving the same level of health care? Is there anything that CGV is currently working on? Um that
0: I think is is a core issue as well, and actually from a personal point of view, I've recently been a patient and realized that actually, if I don't go out saying, you know I am a former consultant radiologist in the n h s the the mm. doctor is treating some of my concerns as though they're a little bit histrionic or you know they're sort of minimizing my Questions. It's only when I'm showing them actually I am the same, I'm, I'm educated to the same level as you that actually they're taking me more seriously, and I that is quite mm-hmm. shocking to me. But yeah. putting that in so, in some ways to one side, as an investor, at, you know my role is to also make sure that some of these things are being thought about, right, by our startups because it's really important that they meet the right networks within healthcare and try and meet people who are champions for change because. Uh, you know, by their very nature, a lot of the people going into working in health tech startups are, you know, idealistic, want to make positive change, and they've come to healthcare to help people. So of course, you know, nobody, well, most people will not be there to sort of, you know, um, cause a problem on purpose. It's often the unconscious bias that happens, whether it's about women or people of color or whatever it is. So it's really, I think a key way to address this is to ensure your company is diverse from top to toe. So, whether it's the founding team, the first employees, the investors, who's on your board, the advisory board you have around you, it's to make sure that there's diversity of thought. So, somebody's going to ask the hard questions around, you know, are we addressing women's needs here? You know, you're making this amazing AI algorithm that's going to read CT scans of people with stroke but have you tested it on the brain scans of black people
1: or women or you know people from a socially deprived background absolutely so that's so it's really about making sure that each um kind of startup or each innovation that comes that way has really considered an intersectional picture of of what they're treating exactly very interesting. And so across Europe, recently there's been a rise in in what's being described as femtech, so health tech companies focusing primarily on women. Do you think that's the 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 way to promote greater gender inclusion in healthcare, or is there a better way to go about it? I think
0: I don't like that term femtech I think it's pejorative and I used to be my area of expertise in radiology was gynecological oncology so women's cancers so to see all of you know that badged as femtech it just seems ridiculous to me but sure. having said that, I do think having female led female focused companies working on female issues is really important because you know I have seen in hospital as a physician lots of the I guess the innovations, the technology, the kit that we're using is, you know, on women is designed and developed by men. So of course it's great that now there are a lot of female led companies working in the you know, female health space um, to try and champion some change. So it's not, you know, we're not there yet, but I think it's a positive step in the right direction.
1: Okay. Interesting. So we, things are moving in the right direction. We just need to keep up the momentum in that case. So, what do you think is the next big thing in the health tech space? And how can we, can we keep up this momentum?
0: Um, I think some of the things I'm excited in as an investor, um, first thing is community driven health tech. So at the moment, you know we've got these big tech giants in healthcare who are delivering telehealth services based on a general practice model. So you know you, you would go with any kind of issue to your GP and try and get a telehealth solution to it. But actually, just as individuals today online, you know, we're seeking communities online, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or, or, or whatever. People also want these tailored solutions. So, you know, we want things that are tailored to us. So, examples of this, there are startups now providing online care which are beginning to specialize and treat specific communities. So, Fella Health is somewhere I have an angel investment in. It's a Y Combinator backed telehealth service for men with obesity. And then okay. there's Lavender, which is an online sexual health platform for LGBTQ plus people. So okay. I think that is an area that actually people are starting to get more interested in. And I certainly as an you know, investor believe that the personalization of health isn't just about these tailored genomic therapies. It's also services that are tailored to an individual's needs to help understand what the LGBTQ community need or what you know, pregnant women need specifically.
1: Wow, interesting. It's really interesting as well to think about this idea of the the personalization of health. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as well, you know, so in terms of, yes, it makes sure that we're touching on specific community groups and specific groups and the problems that they have. But also just for patients as well to make sure that they receive a treatment that they feel more comfortable with, that they believe that they... Are are being taken more seriously, you know. Um, I think for a long time in in healthcare, a lot of patients have felt kind of that they're just put in the system and they're treated very quickly and impersonally, and then left. So it's interesting to see a, a new wave of bringing personalization back into medicine. Um, because as you said, you know, people become doctors to help people and, and for reasons. So it's great to see tech kind of promoting that again. So alongside um. These, these gaps that we see in health tech, there's also a big gap in terms of diversity in the VC space. So, I was wondering if we could just touch on that for a second. Um, have you experienced diversity in the venture capital world? Uh, do you mean the lack of diversity? Yes, the lack
0: of diversity. <laughs> <laughs> I, in short, yes. So, when I started investing, I started thinking, you know, where are all the women here? And that's because I was really investing a lot. Um, both as an individual and as a fund in deep tech companies across Europe. And deep tech is a place where it is very white, male, straight investors. And actually, a lot of those people have been to the same university or the same school and is very Mm -hmm. homogenous. So I very much was like, gosh, I'm the only woman and the only person of color on this cap table, which really stood out to me because medicine for all its issues is a very diverse field, both in the patients you see and the people you see in hospital. And then I think um, I've had some interesting experiences. So I was mansplained about radiology and the need for artificial intelligence imaging, despite being a radiology expert. And this is by people who are non-experts trying to tell me what radiology is,
1: etc. That's really shocking,
0: isn't it? Just the audacity (laughs) yeah so that's that's an interesting thing to. but then it's also it's not just about recognizing it it's also about calling it out in a nice way Mm -hmm. and trying to say actually I am an expert and I do know what I'm talking about men have asked me who's writing my check for me um you know because they're assuming somebody else will um so I think I, I learned from my time in medicine you know that if you're good, if you're credible, you shouldn't have to hide away. So I very much took the initiative and leaned into this. So I stepped up onto these cap tables as the only woman, the only person of color, and um, you know I'm not shy about talking about how much I know about healthcare and you know my expertise as well.
1: Absolutely, and nor should you be. <laughs> you, have, you have had an amazing career and a, and a lot of a lot of experience, and that's definitely a very inspiring. Uh, piece of thought, and so. Related to this, how do you think that we can get VC space in Europe to become more diverse? How can we make sure that 2022 is a year that we have a diverse area?
0: Um, So I think we need to look at the sort of status quo. And the thing that comes to mind is the Atomico State of European Tech report that came out at the end of last year, which shows that 1.1% of all VC funding in Europe goes to all female teams. And only 8.8% or something like that is going to mixed gender teams, which means wow. you know, we have a long way to go. Um, And I think that, you know, there are a lot of great initiatives now where people are, you know, holding office hours for underrepresented um, founders, where they're mentoring them and sort of trying to support them in, in different ways. And I think that's great. And we need people to be talking about this as an issue. But we also really need to back underrepresented founders with money, you know, with capital. And I think that is really important. And I think that a way that people can do that is to turn the mirror onto yourself as an investor, you know are you sitting in an investment committee full of people who look just like you, you know, are you investing in startups where, you know, where are there any female founders? Are there any people of color? And just to try and figure out your own status quo and
1: then decide, okay, this is the next level we need to go to, to try and change things. Interesting. Okay. So it's about taking awareness of where you're at and identifying the problems and then really, I guess, putting your money where your mouth is and, giving the investment to those teams that that are driving innovation. Exactly, and at Crystal Gully, we have an
0: initiative called Crystal Gully Labs, which is a standalone investing strand, which allows us to invest in exceptional pre-seed, very early stage companies, Backed by otherwise traditionally underrepresented founders, and I've been doing that since 2019 and actually some of those companies are doing really well. they've had follow follow on funding from people like Softbank, Amadeus Capital, Hoxton Ventures, et etc and I think that it's it's basically my thinking here was to back these people at the earlier stage because I think that that's the time when they can be
1: overlooked and you know not invested in, despite I'm being sorry, great to help them get that first step on the ladder and and get going. yeah. Absolutely amazing. So based on this then, um, what kind of would imbe- inspire you to invest in a startup? Is there any special spark that you're specifically looking for? Um, I mean,
0: all, if I look across our portfolio, our founders are very different in terms of personalities. It's not one personality per se. I think that we're looking for outstanding founders who really understand healthcare. And that sounds very glib, but actually it's really hard to do because healthcare is a complex regulated environment where it takes a long time to get an innovation from an idea into a patient's hand or onto a ward so i'm looking for people like some of our best founders like neil daly at skin analytics for example took literally years to figure out the whole space you know for dermatology artificial intelligence to realize what do doctors want what do patients want what is going to work best here because there's no point having an amazing piece of technology that's going to sit gathering dust on a ward you need that person to understand how to make it inside, you know, inside hospitals and healthcare in general. And then beyond that, I'm looking for people who are creative, and who have grit and resilience. This is this characteristics, of course, really Mm -hmm. important during the pandemic, because, you know, the pandemic hit a lot of our startups, you know, hard, suddenly, you can't travel, you can't do your research, hospitals are shut to anything other than COVID. So of course, you know, if you're if you don't have grit and resilience, it's very challenging to, to sort of move forwards in
1: difficult times. Absolutely. Okay. So we need to have a lot of know-how and a lot of creativity and a lot of grit and determination. Yes. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then just to finish up, do you have any final words of advice that you would give to any up-and-coming or aspiring finders, particularly those that are from diverse backgrounds?
0: Um. Yeah, I would say don't be afraid to shout about yourself and your company in the same way that a straight white male founder would. I find this is especially the case for women founders who don't always want to shout about how great they are. I would say, secondly, to build your own community of founders and investors who are backing you from an early stage and lean on them through difficult times. You know, Don't be afraid to be vulnerable and to ask for help if you need it. And then finally, I think uh, from a, I guess a more cash point of view especially at the earlier stage find out who invests in diverse founders and engage them early on to become champions of you and your business
1: wonderful thank you well this has been absolutely amazing dr fiona Um you've given us so much and there's so many things that i would love to have unpacked further um mm-hmm. but i feel like we would be here all day so thank you so much for joining us it's been a pleasure
0: thank you very much for having me patricia